What's going on, everyone? And welcome into a special Christmas edition and episode 10 of the Open Run Podcast presented by War Media. My name is Gabriel Wilkins, and I'm joined yet again by my fellow running mate, NBA senior writer for War Media, as well as Bulls insider for the Bigs and Josh Hicks, including a special guest this week. Friend, we ain't been with in a long time to talk hoops with. Who needs no introduction? But you know it's been a part of our many shows across the War Media platform. It makes up one half of the Skyhook podcast right beside James K for the Chicago Tribune, my man, Chris Pennant. How you two doing? Wearing the same shirt from earlier today. Y'all going to see me. It's, it's, it's going to look like we filmed this and at bat back to back. Because we're I know, still representing right? <laughs> the Texas rattlesnake. The <laughs> The most stone cold son of a bitch in the entire WW. Can't say WWF anymore. Anyway, doing good. That's hey, what's Chris, I don't blame you because I definitely did an appearance on Sean and Maya, Sean and Maya in the morning show today in this same hoodie. So we're gonna get the same hoodie too. Like I understand. See? <laughs> Y'all gonna we get work the same from, regardless, man. We work from home, which means we are not doing multiple outfits. We are working from home. That's what it is. If we keeping it simple, we grinding. Yeah, definitely want <laughs> to give a hoop shout out to Trailblazers All-Star Guard, Damian Lillard, for becoming just one of only eight active players in the league to surpass the 8,000-point plateau in Portland's road victory against Houston just four days ago prior to this recording, in addition to one of only two players in Trailblazers history to reach the following mark is Lillard officially surpassed the great Hall of Fame forward Clyde Drexler at the top part of the week to officially become Portland's all-time leading scorer out in OKC. Nuggets all-star big man Nikola Jokic, who recently became only the third player ever in league history to construct a 40-plus point, 25-plus rebound, and 10-plus assist night, joining the late great Hall of Famers Will Chamberlain and Elgin Baylor posting 40 points, 27 rebounds to go alongside of 10 times to guide Denver in a 119-115 win at home against Charlotte on the way to capturing Western Conference Player of the Week honors and next star forward Kevin Durant on surpassing Celtics legends John Havlicek and Paul Pierce for 16th place on the NBA's all-time scoring list on the way to a 43-point night on 22 shot attempts to help carry Brooklyn to a 124 121 road victory in Detroit closed out last weekend. Want to get straight to it, cut to the taste. Got my man Chris back in the building with us once again, Josh. I want to ask you, what were the top basketball moments that stood out to you this year the most in 2022? This is currently our final show of the year here at Open Run. Man, there's so many, bro. I, I I literally could not, you know, come down to the most biggest moment for me. I It was hard for me to do. But if we're going to keep it real from a recent perspective, um, let's just say what's impressed me was Nikola Jokic's 40-point, 27-10. Now, what's special about that is – 40 points. Okay, we know Jokic has done 40-point games before. That's not surprising. 27 rebounds. Okay, that's that's pretty high up there. Didn't expect that. But you throw 10 dimes as well. 
you give him Will Chamberlain numbers. That is something as much as, you know, we love Jokic and I love the fact that, you know, his skill set is so unique. I'm not going to lie. I didn't expect that big, slow dude to make no, make numbers like that. He, he's, he moves like a sloth, but yet he's making so much big, impactful plays. And the fact that he was able to do that at such a high rate in that game, bro, it's nuts. But there's another performance I have to mention. And it has to be Devin Booker again. No, I'm not talking about the one where he dropped 52 on the Bulls in, in, in such an efficient fashion that he made the Bulls pretty much just, he just did whatever he wanted. I'm not even talking about that game. I'm talking about the most recent game. Dude dropped 58 with yeah. over 40 plus against the Pelicans in the second half. What? I'm telling you guys right now. Devin Booker is the blueprint of what it means to officially be not affected by the Kardashian curse. It is real, oh. gentlemen. Oh. Fellas, it is real. <laughs> and Devin Booker is the face of it. Because my man is going nuts. And he is, and, and dare I say, include him in an MVP conversation? If the, if, if the last 50-point piece wasn't it, I'm telling you right now, this one is when you drop 58 against the number one team in the Western Conference that has been kicking your butt all season long. I mean, come on. That's just that I think just the fact that he won the curse alone, we should have an award for that. The league over here putting all types of awards for MVPs and additional you know, clutch game, clutch player of the year awards and stuff like that. Why don't we make an award for the best best performance post-Kardashian? He'll win that thing all day every day. We might as well just get that to him. So he got two awards for me. He's, he's he's in the MVP conversation, which is you know award worthy of itself. But I want to end the year with a Christmas present to Devin Booker for the best player post Kardashian award. He is the one that has deserved that award for me, and I'm so proud to give that to him. That is the highlight of my 2022, giving him an award for saying, "Hey, guess what? You helped us brothers. You helped us brothers succeed post Kardashian." You a real one, brother. Especially now that you were light-skinned. You know I got to lower my light-skinned brothers. We got to stick together, man. That's how I be doing it, man. That's how I'm ending. That's my moment for 2022. You over here being the blueprint of what it means to be successful post the Kardashian. I love it. Oh, I love this time of year, man. What about yourself, Chris? I know you try to think about how to follow that one up. Okay, I had to go deep, deep back into the into the uh, mental rolodex. That's how you can tell how old I am um, <laughs> to remember my my top basketball moments from the year. And uh, no, it is not me hitting numerous turnaround jump shots at the Mozart Park courts, though that was a lot of fun. Um, actually, got these glasses and a funny story at Mozart Park. We won't go into that, but. Uh, we had a dude named Remy Martin who almost won an NCAA championship. Can't remember that. I'm surprised it didn't get more pub because that's just so dope. Man's name, man's real name is Remy Martin. And he almost won a chip if it wasn't for Bill Self's punk ass in Kansas. I will never. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. He did win the chip. Yeah, he, won he won the chip. Yeah. I they forgot. I was switching it up. He was, on, he was on Kansas. So that's like the one time I was like, had a rooting interest for Kansas is that Remy Martin. <laughs> 
won a championship. Um, Jokic is very interesting for sure because it's, I think we, we've seen European players come in this league and play well for decades now, even before there were widespread concerns about, you know, uh, players being soft. People wanted to get Arvidas Sabonis over here. Uh, there was a Brazilian cat, and I can't think of his last name right now. It's Oscar. Um, Oscar Smith. People wanted him over here back in the 80s. Um, and then cool coach came over. Sabonis came over. Drazen Petrovic, rest in peace, came over and lit things up. And then Dirk came over and really cemented European basketball in the NBA. But for Jokic and Doncic to – and um, the Bogdanoviches, both, both of them, honestly – because I think Bogdan, he won't, I don't think he'd be an MVP candidate, but he has all-star potential for sure. They're not just three-point specialists. These guys are not just, you know, one-dimensional. Um, even, you know, Dirk wasn't, but Dirk wasn't really a great defender. These guys can play both ways when they put their minds to it. And that's what's really cool about Jokic. Now, on the downside of that, it's like we've gone from the light-skinned takeover of the NBA to just the full, like, alabaster completely take over the NBA. So Joel Embiid, as much as I think other players are more deserving, Joel Embiid, you got to do it for the dark-skinned brothers, bro. You got to win that one MVP award at least. So I am going to support Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid and the Sixers to my detriment. I just decided over, over Tatum and the Celtics, over Booker and the Suns, over over Steph and and Clay over all of them is Joel and B time, bro. Because they got not only him, they got James Harden, who looks like he just stepped off the set of Underground onto the basketball court, and Shake Milton. They're putting it down for us. So I'm <laughs> I'm I'm all the way Joel and B MVP. And lastly and bestly, we have one of the best WNBA seasons of of the year. Yes. And I think both college and in the professional ranks, we saw a change, not only in um, engagement, because the engagement is at an all-time high. The, the, the nonconformists that refuse to believe that women could do anything athletic is, is shrinking, but it's getting louder. But at the same time, I think sponsors and advertisers are showing they don't care and they're willing to support the homie Dana Evans got a Nike contract. So did. Jordan, Jordan, Jordan contract. Asia Wilson got that Ruffles deal and all of that while being as Asia Wilson as Asia Wilson and John Morant are the most Southern uncle and aunties that can jam on you. And they're going to continue to be that until they retire. And it's beautiful. It really is. I think there's always this question of blackness and what blackness actually is. Right. Those two cats are so undeniably black, like it could, it's so scary to other people, but you can tell that people can't help but really fuck with them. And I think in the WNBA, not only did you have a team of basically Becky Hammond running six out there for the majority of the season and still winning a championship, which is an incredible accomplishment in itself. Mm -hmm. Pretty much everybody thought they were gonna burn out at some point and they didn't really until the last game of the finals. You had their centerpiece star being this young person who was just like, like, I, I can't. <laughs> it's, it's like every single possible thing that is Black right now wrapped up into 
a basketball player with good post moves, fantastic defense, and a reliable mid-range jump shot. So I, I think of the best thing was Asia Wilson and the Aces. And you know that hurts me to say because it, just, it has to. I will say this, Chris. When you talk about Asia Wilson and her blackness, she is an AKA. Oh man! Yes, she is. <laughs> yes, she is. She does not hide that at all. She will. That all. makes so much sense. <laughs> that makes so much sense. AKA, I could. I think I just heard. Ooh, I think I just heard it. <laughs> I just keep it. <laughs> yeah. About to get run over in the yeah, party, she, man. She don't hide that at all. She promotes that very heavily on Instagram. and been doing so since day one from the moment she entered the league, even when she was in her college days in South Carolina, yep. beating the Gamecocks to Final Fours and national title runs. So, you know, kudos to her. And, and, that, and it's funny you, you bring up Joel and B and the Las Vegas Aces and Aja Wilson because those were two out of my top three basketball moments for this year. You know, we talk about Joel Embiid. He was the first big man since Moses Malone in 1982 to average over 30 points a game. And he was the first big man to lead the NBA in scoring since Shaq in 2000 last season. And that stood out to me because in today's current era where the offense is largely predicated around the play of guards, you don't often find too many big men outside of him and Nikola Jokic where the entire offense is centered around them. And for him to command that a much as much attention rather as he does on a nightly basis and still manage to be able to score 30 points a night while being double teamed, finding a way to quickly counter double teams before they show up and, you know, make opponents pay, whether that's on the low block, whether that's with his face up game, whether that's with his three point shot as he can score on all three levels of the floor. You know, that's crazy. And I don't think it's something that has been fully appreciated enough. You add that on top of the fact that he's currently leading the league in scoring as of this season and as of this recording, and he's on pace to capture back-to-back -back scoring titles, which will make him the first center since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to accomplish a feat in over half a century. I can't help but wonder if we're currently watching history in live time and we're not appreciating it. And in my opinion, Joel Embiid, who's been the runner-up for the MVP award the last two seasons in the NBA, Jokic, he should have at least one of those two MVPs, in my opinion. And last year, I, I had a significant gripe with it, personally. And I, I voiced that on Running With War many times, talking with you guys. Like, I just didn't get it. I don't get how he was a second-team All-NBA candidate or, or, or nominee. Or, actually, he made second-team because of the way that the voting is set up with the front court. Like, I, I just don't get that, how you can lead the league in scoring and, and still not get your just due. No disrespect to Jason Tatum and none of those guys that got the first-team honors, but that was just wow to me. And then the rise of the Memphis Grizzlies. You know, this was a team that won a franchise best 56 games last year and route to the second seed in the West. And then they became only the second non-Texas-based franchise to win the Southwest Division title since the Pelicans did it in 07-08 when they were the Hornets under Chris Paul. And while I know divisions don't matter in the grand scheme of things to most NBA fans, to me that's a big deal, especially when you consider the fact that at Southwest Division, since its exception, rather, has been dominated largely by the Spurs, the Mavs, and the Rockets. Taylor Jenkins has impressed me a lot through his first three seasons under the helm. He's increased the win total each and every year. With that core that they have in John Moran, Desmond Bain, and Jaron Jackson Jr., 
you can't help but wonder how far can this group go over the next several years and beyond. And they seem to be a major player and a force to be reckoned with out West. They're currently tied with Denver, the top of the West in the, in the playoff picture right now as we speak. And then the Las Vegas Aces, as you mentioned, Chris, you know, the WNBA, I think, is more popular than it's ever been before. I think eyes are finally starting to come to the sport in, in record numbers. The, the ratings are going up. And it was cool to see them finally get over the top when you consider all of the heartbreaks that they had in playoffs past. Losing in the conference finals in 2019-2021. Getting swept by the Seattle Storm in the bubble in 2020. I got to give a lot of credit to the first-year head coach, Becky Hammond, who managed to right that ship. And they didn't just win the the WNBA finals. They ended up winning the Commissioner's Cup, too. Like, they did a clean sweep. And Asia cemented herself as the top power forward in the game, winning MVP Defensive Player of the Year honors. And Delcy Gray had a hell of a run in the finals and hit some big-time shots throughout that playoff run to help them capture their first championship in franchise history. So I got to give kudos to those two organizations as well as the All-Star and Joel Embiid. No doubt. And, you know, uh, those Aces teams that lost, they it was always the question, right? And it was that's a testament to the organization being willing to let go of that dude from Clarendon Hills and, and kind of, you know, promote him out of that coaching role and come back and hire Becky Hammond when she was a name that was really in consideration for an NBA job. We won't, I don't know if we'll ever know exactly how much, um, you know, teams were going after her when she was on the market. But I think that there was at least good amount of interest that knew um, that Las Vegas and Mark, um, ooh, sorry, that Mark Davis had to open up the pocketbook. He couldn't lowball her because she had the choice pretty much. He's like, I could have, she could have stayed Mm -hmm. in the in the NBA if she had won so they were willing to get the coach that they needed um, and even if they couldn't do exactly everything they wanted in free agency they were able to to run and kind of step into the 20 this decade of the 21st century in terms of basketball and that's what made them so good and so tough to beat along with having Asia Wilson as a backstop that could just take over games in the first fourth quarter defensively and yeah, Matthew, I, I agree with you. Go ahead, oh, yeah, I, I agree with you all too. And I and I just I was just sitting here thinking, we talking about Asia Wilson and the success that she's had. All the coaches she's played for, you went from Don Staley to random as hell Bill Lambeer <laughs> to Becky Hammond. You played for two of the arguably the best coaches out there. Yeah, I'm and no and, and yeah, I went there. I'm disrespecting Bill Lambeer. Okay. I'm disrespecting Ooh. him. So, Consistently do that. Always yes, do I'm that. disrespecting Bill Lambeer. He is not gonna get in that and get any rank in that at all. Okay. No. But but as far as you know, back in you you went from Don Staley, who we know that's the OG. Like that, like she had she coming to the cookouts to Becky Hammond, who, you know, we claim is one of the if you're in the basketball realm and you see the consistent swag that she brings to the court and the way she talks to her players on the court and everything, yo, she one of us. We claim her. Imagine being able, and, and you got success out of both of them. Championships. 
I mean, what what more can you do? She gonna get all the you're gonna get all this. Come on, man. You're gonna get all these dances and everything. But she's playing for the best of the best. And you are winning at that level. Asia Wilson is really taking this league by storm. And I think she has she, she has a really good chance. Now I wonder, now the question mark for 2023 is what the sky gonna look like now, because apparently Candace is coming back. So I want to see how this is going to work with the rise of Kalia Copper as now pretty much being the face of that franchise. That's a whole other conversation. I know Chris and I are gonna have. And you know, we go if you ever get it, if I ever get an invite to the Scott Hill podcast, I would love to come on there and talk about it. You know, <laughs> All right. so that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother discussion. You know, I'll let that slide, bro. I'll let that slide. But anyway, oh, strong arm, bro. <laughs> <laughs> got a, hey, you got a campaign for it while you're here. I understand. Hey, I got, I got a campaign, Chris. I, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. You're a busy man. I don't know when I'm going to see you again, brother. So That's I got to get you while I can. So, <laughs> but but outside of all that overall, I think you both hit it the nail on the head. Nail on the coffin. The WNBA is at its most popular rate ever since the league was, since the league was done. And now that we are getting there, they have a chance to really take things to the next level. I just hope they don't mess this up. Because they're already going to be in some cold. They're already getting some heat. Well, the commission is already getting some heat for her comments about expanding the league. And now she's saying, ah, that may not be. It may, it may be a lot longer than I thought. You like That's going to come back to bite her eventually, especially, especially since she's already on thin ice. When you're talking about the treatment of players, uh, flight schedules, the type of service that they get for hotels, like, there's already a bunch of flack within the WNBA as is, with her being in charge. That might be another tip to the uh, another tip to the pot, where it's like, all right, your days are kind of numbered if you don't keep the, if you don't start improving this thing. So I'm wondering where the WNBA is going to go from here. But overall, big year for the WNBA. 2022 was a huge year for them, and you know if they if they do this right, it's going it's a good it's a good launching board to what the future really could look like moving forward. For sure. But I want to move on from the top basketball moments of 2022 to discuss the hometown Chicago Bulls. They lost back-to-back games at home against the New York Knicks last week following a tough loss at the hands of the Atlanta Hawks. One of those losses came in overtime after the Bulls came back from a 14-point deficit in the second quarter and clawed back into the lead during the latter portions of the third and tied the game late in regulation thanks to a DeMar DeRozan layup following a Nikola Vucevic swat in the paint against Julius Randle, which would help force the extra session. However, Jalen Brunson would have other plans, scoring seven of his 30 points on the night in the five extra minutes of action while playing with a foot contusion to help the Knicks earn an eight-point victory in the Madhouse on Madison as the Bulls went cold and scoreless on five straight possessions in the overtime session, all the while registering the worst offensive performance of the year in the rematch against the Knicks two days later. The Bulls' poor stretch will also culminate in an atrocious defensive outing in the Twin Cities to conclude the weekend as they gave up 150 points on 101 possessions to the Minnesota Timberwolves despite shooting 52% from the floor in a 24-point route. Bulls done lost seven out their last 10 games. They're currently facing off against the Atlanta Hawks down in the ATL as of this recording. That somehow they stand just a half a game back in the East behind the Toronto Raptors for the 10th and final spot to play in tournament. You know about the news that surfaced over the last 24 to 48 hours 
on the Chicago sports media scene that Sham, Sharani, and Darnell Mayberry, the athletic, broke, where Zach Levine has reportedly been said to not be seen eye to eye with the Bulls front office, as well as DeMar DeRozan as of late. So much to where you got a lot of one-on-one sit-downs and team meetings taking place. Even during the middle of games, you got guys letting it be known to one another their displeasures during halftime out in Minnesota. And that's been confirmed by members of the local media realm as well. What do you believe Bulls general manager Mark Eversley and vice president of basketball operations, Arturis Karnasovic, should have on their minds right now? I want to ask you first, uh, Chris, speak your piece on that. It's tough to say because you just, the big deal is that if this is true, with, and, and it's pretty much impossible to doubt those two names you mentioned. If that's true, it's a horrible look for Zach to get a giant contract and get that comfortable where he feels that he can, you know, there, there might be, I think that there is some, some barrier to criticizing Billy Donovan's uh, overall plan for the team. Because when the Bulls started the season, there were a lot of good things at work. And they weren't winning every game, but they weren't losing all of them. They looked like they were meshing well and building towards something. Now we're about a quarter of the way plus through the season, and they look worse. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to completely fault Zach for that. But at the same time, even with the big contract in hand, I don't see him as the guy. You've got to lead in a different way. There has to be a different way to lead than just criticizing the coach and i'm sure that that's part of what any disagreements that are happening on the sideline are 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 concerning as well as other things so for eversley and karnashovas the important thing is that they need to get a concrete team identity and goal that just can't be get to the playoffs because getting to the playoffs whether the NBA wants to talk, uh, call it the playoffs or not, playing past the last game of the regular season can't just be paramount for a team that gave this guy a big contract and has players on at the level of Vucevic and DeRozan. They have to make a deep playoff run. And so if it's not going to be this year, then you have to get the guys out who are going to be competing, distracting voices, who are going to be creating extra noise and figure out who you can get to buy in. You know, LeBron is not necessarily my favorite for the things that he does off the court, but what he told Kevin Love all those years ago, stop trying to fit out and fit in, I think is is a very good way to put it right now. The Bulls have to find guys who are completely and all the way going to try and fit in rather than fit out. And that should be the main focus of the front office before anything else. They have to get everybody on the same page and compete. If that starts with the coach and his staff, then it starts with the coach and his staff. They asked for this. Let's be very sure they asked for this. Ain't no way you're going to sit here and tell me that, oh, there might, you know, we're going to secretly sign Billy Donovan to an extension, not let the public know about it, and then not expect all these issues, potentially other issues to come forward from a flag perspective to the front office. Nah, bro. Y'all was y'all was trying to move and sound like lasagna to the T. Like, how can't, <laughs> that, that can't, that doesn't fly. 
So they part of this is on themselves. But I will say this, and I talked about this earlier on the, on the radio show with uh, Sports on Chicago. I am glad that this rift took place. Matter of fact, I have no problem with it. And the reason why is because Zach Levine, you are getting a taste of what it means to be a max level player. There's levels to this. You can't just come in here and get paid $200 million and not expect anyone in your front office or the team or media to publicly criticize you in the way that we publicly criticize you when you all you when all you've done is worse than what you performed last year. Yes, granted, different situation, different offense. The, the, the point of the offense is not to have you score and have the ball in your hands as often as you did last season. Totally understand that. But at the same time, bro, your, your basketball IQ is trash. Your turnovers are killing the offensive team, are, are killing the team offensively. Those components are what you need for Billy Donovan offense to thrive because Billy Donovan has, has this offensive mindset where it's constant ball movement, constant pressure from a transition game perspective, and there's a flow. There's a rhythm. The rhythm for this Bulls offense to flow has to start with Nikola Vucevic in the paint. That is the blueprint for success with this team. But for some reason, they want to deviate from the blueprint. Like it's, they, 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 it's like they avoid trying to do that every game. Like they're driving on I-94 trying to avoid potholes. It's, it's, <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. They're, they're just constantly swerving all over the place when, quite frankly, just, just keep going straight. Keep going straight into what you're doing. And that's the, and that comes not, and that's honestly not from the front office. That's on Billy Donovan. That's on Nikola Vucevic. They have to create the discipline to run the offense and run, uh, and to, yeah, the premise run this team the way that it needs to be ran. And Vucevic has to be vocal enough to let them know that, hey, you we need to be disciplined enough to get me involved early in the games in the paint, not this five out offense where we're trying to act like we're in a five man weave. No. It is when you get the ball to Nikola Vucevic in the paint, let him do his dirty work in the paint starting off the game, and let them play inside out. When you do that, a lot of these Bulls' problems will be resolved. And quite honestly, if Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan don't play iso ball every time they get the, get, get the ball from the, from the inside out play, or at least they'd be more selective with the, with those things. We have a better high IQ and efficiency perspective for those. We wouldn't be talking about this. They'll win a lot more games than they're losing. And that's just on the offensive end. We already know defense is trash. But there's hope to fix that. There is hope to fix that. We saw it in the Miami game. They actually played good sound defense, solid rotations, et cetera, to a point where they not only was able to thrive on offense, but they were also able to thrive defensively. If the Bulls use that Miami Heat game as a blueprint, all this will be resolved. But the problem is they choose not to do that. And that's their problem. No, dif no discipline, constant inconsistency. That's not always on front office. That's your coach staff and your players, and more specifically, your big three, which you signed to be here long-term, except for Vucevic, because he's a wild card right now. We got another guest on the Open Run podcast with us. 
a guy who needs no introduction to our war media platform as he's been on shows of past with us, such as running, but he covers the Atlanta Hawks on fan-sided soaring down south in addition to covering the league for last word on sports and heavy. Another guy, as I said, who's a familiar face on our platforms, host of the Triple Zeros podcast, my guy, Josh Buckhalter. How you doing? Man, I'm great. Thanks for having me on, bro. I appreciate it. Just a anytime, celebrity anytime. right here. Yes, sir. Oh, yes, sir. We, <laughs> we, we, we talking Bulls. We, we talking the Bulls right now. You know, this is a team that's lost three out of their last four games. A team that had a ton of high expectations after for three quarters of the season last year being among the top players in the East. And even though they finished slow or, 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 or rough, you know, it fell from first overall to sixth. This is a team right now that's on the outside looking into the playoff, the playing picture. What do you believe that Mark Eversley and Arturis Karnasovic should have on their minds right now? Because you got a lot of people around the league looking to see what are the Bulls going to do? Are they going to seek the sale? Because as they're currently constructed and with the way they've been performing, you can't call them a buyer. Yeah, um, I, 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 we would say that they're not a buyer, but I'm not so sure that they're ready to concede that yet. Um, I think if they were going to give that up, they, they, that chance was uh, at last year's trade deadline, and then again this past off season, and by passing up on those opportunities, you've kind of painted yourself into a corner. And I think their next move will probably be towards a pivot, uh, one that'll be a step back, even if it's a minor step back. I heard it uh, compared to the Portland Trailblazers and, and moving off of C.J. McCollum to take that minor step back only to take a leap forward. I could see them doing something like along those lines with Zach. Um, I put that out there right now. I don't think Zach is going anywhere um, unless he demands out, which I don't see happening either. But I, I'm, I'm not of the mindset that they're going to be able to add anything to this that's going to make a difference because I don't think it's built properly in the first place. Hmm. So with that being said, the Bulls currently hold the seventh worst record in the NBA as this recorded. You got a draft class that features the likes of Victor Wimbenyama and School Henderson among a bevy of young talent, Keontae George out of Baylor. According to Tankathon, the Bulls have an 8.5% chance at the number four pick, 8.1% chance at the number three pick, and a 7.8 and 7.5% chance for the number two and number one overall picks, respectively. Although the odds are not in their favor to land inside the top four as of today, do you think that they should seek to tank in spite of Orlando owning the rights to the Bulls 2023 first round draft pick if it falls outside the top four as projected? And I know that's a tough question to ask Chicago sports fans right now, especially with the expectations that fans had of this team coming off of last year. And it's still being the early days of the season, so to speak. But I feel like you have to think about these things when you consider the fact that Nikola Vucevic is on an expiring contract. You have no intentions on signing him to a max deal. And understandably so, you might need to seek to strike iron while it's hot and move him before it's too late. I think that the goal has to be to replenish the draft capital, right? So 
you can't tank with the focus on. Let's try to get four because, like you said, it's so out of the control. And it's funny because I think you said it was eight percent chance of getting the four, number four pick. I looked eight at eight and a half percent chance. Eight and a half percent chance of landing the, the, the number I four looked, pick, and it's a top four protected pick. I looked about a week or so ago, and it was about twenty percent, maybe even twenty five. So it's gone down that much in just this bit of time because of how much teams are committed themselves to doing it. So the Bulls, like I said, straddling the fence, are kind of pinning themselves into a corner. Um, so if you're going to go, your op, your object there is to just get some more draft capital and some young prospects that you can try to hope that will hit. If you fall into the fourth pick, that's awesome. That's the bonus for it. But that can't be your focus because it's just not in your control. Um, the class is there for it, right? The talent is there at the top of this class to go and, and do it. And so if there's if there's any year that you could justify it in recent memory, this is probably it. However, they've, they've done so much mortgaging of their future that they can't operate solely on the object of trying to get into the top four. What's your thoughts on the, on the matter, Chris? And then I'll go to you, Josh. It's sad. And I think this is going to have to be my last bit. It's sad because Josh is right. All those years where I listened to the, where I listened to so many people say, you got to blow it up. You got to blow it up. You got to blow it up. You got to tank. The bulls put themselves in that position by just by hiring Jim Boylan, they put themselves in a position to tank. Even if they, that was probably the smartest thing they did. They, they put themselves in a position to tank without overtly saying that they were tanking because they're, the coach that was trying hard enough was pretty much, to be to put it nicely, a square peg in a round hole. Uh, that's about the nicest way I could say it. And then they didn't <laughs> get the pick that they wanted. And now when you have so much possible talent coming out, the... The the, uh, the lottery has been constructed as such where it is really out of your control. And, you know, that's, which is what I, I wanted for a long time anyway, but they've committed themselves to winning, but not enough to win. And it's really just hoping that everything meshes and it's a very delicate, they, they built a souffle and they're not pulling it out of the, uh, they're, they're like jumping around the apartment. <laughs> and at some point the souffle is going to collapse and it seems like it's collapsing right now and there's really no hope for saving it because they don't have enough left to really put forth and me it doesn't look any better that the guys that they cast off from the boiling era are doing well if not thriving in other locations so i think this is one where you've got to kick the can a bit knowing that the future you know you don't know necessarily what the future holds so if the Bulls make it as a nine seed this year and make the playoffs and then get worked, they get worked. you got to live with your mistakes the same way you've got to live with your successes. I will say this briefly and shortly. Um, one, I cannot, even though it hurts to talk about this from a Bulls fan perspective, the fact that Chris Pennant, my boy, Steve Breezy, brought up Jim Boylan and Garpax. I'll take where I'm at right now. Like, I'll, I'll take where I'm at right now compared to what we dealt with in that guard pack there, okay? You got so I'll the take PTSD it. kicked in? Yes, it, it kicked in real bad, real bad. You didn't have <laughs> flashbacks? You didn't get flashbacks when Billy was talking about competitiveness and fire and fighting and all of that stuff? Right, yeah. I, was, it, I was falling back when he I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. It, it was a shock. He was like, oh, that's real. It exists. Like, <laughs> but... On top, but on top of that, too, I think the biggest thing for me that I will say is, yeah, we talk about how, you know, the odds are so out of the Bulls' favor with getting anything top four. At one point, we thought the same thing about this one specific team 
And then they and then they then you know Steph got hurt, Clay got hurt, Draymond got hurt, and they end up getting James Wiseman, who contributed to winning a title. Am I saying we're the Warriors? Hell no, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this: if the Warriors can have luck, oh, so could we. So I'm gonna be man positive that you know what? We might be in the bit that wanna buy your sweepstakes. We might be in the school Henderson sweepstakes. Because lo and behold, the Bulls have been, when you talk about guard packs, we've been the seventh pick for three straight years. And when you talk about success and luck, the Pelicans were the number one seed for three, four years. And look where they are at right now. There's hope, gentlemen. There is hope. And you know what? The, the play devil's advocate, I say this. When the Bulls got Derrick Rose number one overall, the odds weren't in their favor. So did. They had a 1.7% chance of landing the top pick in the draft. Me personally, would I do it? I'm not sure. But if you're going to do it, you need to figure out within the next several weeks or so whether or not you're truly committed to your core long term. I do believe, Josh Buckhalter, what you said when you brought up Levine, I don't think he's getting traded. He's the face of the franchise. I think he's also earned the right to go to the Bulls front office and express rights, even though I think players who play beside him have a reason to express gripes to him as well for his poor and heinous shot selection, sometimes down the stretch of games, which Josh, you were speaking to when it came to his basketball IQ being in the low level. That's been known for the last several years since he first touched down here in Chicago from Minnesota as part of that Jimmy Butler deal. But I, 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 I wouldn't mind seeing them take a chance, but it's going to require you to sell off pieces. And you're going to have to let guys like Nikola Vucevic go and seek the, not only try and acquire draft capital, but it might even require you to let guys like Alice Caruso go, especially if you can connect you a first-round draft pick. And you're going to have to take a gamble in a fashion similar to what the Houston Rockets did during the season in which they traded James Harden away to the Brooklyn Nets. And their pick was a top four protected pick that was supposed to go to Oklahoma City. If it didn't fall outside of the top four, or if it did fall outside of the top four, it would have went to Oklahoma City. But they were so bad, they ended up gambling, taking a risk. They got the number two overall pick, and they turned that into Jalen Green. So sometimes you do have to take those gambles, especially if you see that your organization isn't going where you projected it to or where you anticipated it to long-term. And what I see currently when I look at this Bulls roster is a lot of stopgap guys. DeMar DeRozan, hell of a first year. Had one of the best campaigns in Bulls history a season ago. But he's not getting any younger. And this is the guy who is on the second year of a three-year contract. If you could get something of significant value for him and a young player in return as a wing or a point guard, especially with the status of Lonzo Ball being up in the air, you may have to consider that. Nikola Vucevic, he can make you a first-round draft pick or a young big man that's on the market with enormous upside. You may have to consider that, especially if you don't have any intentions on signing. You can't let him just walk and not get anything in return, especially when you just so happen to lose the trade with the Orlando Magic, no matter how a Bulls fan tries to portray it, because they were able to turn Vucevic into Wendell Carter Jr. 
and Franz Wagner, who was first team all rookie just a season ago. But with that said, I want to I want to uh, give a shout out to my man Chris Pennant for coming through, taking out the time to talk hoops with us on the latest surrounding the Bulls, as well as our top basketball moments for 2022. Thank you so much once again for coming in. That again, Chris. Have a happy holidays, bro. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, gentlemen, and everybody who's listening. Dan from Villa Park. All the stuff that you think you know, these guys actually know it. So always tune in to Open Run. <laughs> Appreciate Love the see, Yes, sir. But I want to move on to talk about two teams in the Eastern Conference that are riding hot right now in New York City. The Knicks and the Nets. Nets don't won nine out of the last 10 games, currently sit fourth in the Eastern Conference playoff picture and only three and a half back of the buck for the top spot in the East. KD and Kyrie put up 43 and 38, respectively. Brooklyn's most recent win in the Motor City against the Pistons. They're currently riding the second-best win streak in the association. They've won six straight games at this recording. Four out of their last six victories have come by either six or less. Nets are seven and one through their first eight games in the month of December, scoring nearly 118 points per game. Knicks, they have the best win streak in the NBA right now. They've won eight in a row. Defense is showing new signs of life under Tom Thibodeau, who's made a set of tweaks to his rotation. This is the first season since 1976 and 1977 that both the Knicks and the Nets have active win streaks of six plus games or more at the same time. Is it safe to say that New York basketball is officially back? If so, what do you guys believe has led to both teams' most recent success? How far do you think they could go? I start off with you first and foremost, uh, Josh Buckhalter. Uh, I, I, back is hard to say. You know how teams can get at this time. You get high, and then they could all collapse. So sure. I, I will, I will stop short of saying back. But it's definitely been impressive to see both of those teams turn their their perception around more than anything. Um, but I think when you try to you know drill down what the the source of it is, it's point guard play. Uh, the the Knicks went out and got Jalen Brunson to keep everything organized, even when they're when they're disorganized everywhere else. Um, for all of the, the controversy that he brings off the court, when Kyrie Irving is on the court, he is magnificent and unlocks a lot of other stuff for, for what the Nets would do, particularly for KD. So it's point guard play. It's, it's having somebody, and you know, not to go back, but that's what the Bulls are lacking. You, let, you need that floor general, not even necessarily somebody who can just pass the ball, but a, a point guard, I, I can't describe it any better than that, on mm -hmm. the floor to help sort things out at times when they can get hectic on the floor. And the Knicks, who were a team that was rudderless last year, have found their direction. And the Nets have found theirs as everybody has gotten back in uh, in focus. Look, is basketball in New York back? Maybe on the Brooklyn side. Look, <laughs> let, let, let's, let's be serious here. The biggest point that I completely agree with is what with Josh Buckhalter. Point guard play changes everything. The Knicks got Jalen Brunson, and you, you come on. Tibbs knows you cannot win without anyone from Illinois. Come on now, he knows this. That's why Derrick Rose has been, has, has been helping him keep a job. And Jalen Brunson from Illinois, another another brother from Illinois, playing that Villanova point guard, chill. I can do it all around play has kept the Knicks afloat, most definitely. Huge addition. It's a huge addition for the Knicks. 
and very underrated, probably in a lot of free from a free agency perspective. But come on now, do you see who's on the other side of the on the other side of the bridge? It is Kevin Durant. It is Kyrie Irving, and it's looking like a healthier Ben Simmons that's starting to find his rhythm. Yeah, come on now. Why are we comparing the Nets to the Knicks? It, 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 it's blasphemous at this point. Doesn't make any sense. It's because, like the you Nets, said, it's a bunch oh. of Illinois guys on the team. Exactly. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> yeah, except for the Illinois guys. They got it. But anyways, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant have, are showing what it really looks like when both of them are healthy, healthy and around the right coaching staff. They're nuts. It's, it's, that's the, arguably the best duo you will ever see on a court, period. Right, but what's what's got me with the Nets is one, Jacques Vaughn has them alert on the defensive end. That is something that the Nets lacked in the beginning of the season, so that doesn't go unnoticed. But it's also guys like, unfortunately, I cannot say his name, so y'all have to uh, change it. But the Asian three-point sniper, my God, Yuta, Yuta Watanabe, Watanabe. I was, I was. That's where I get thrown off the back end. He, he's, he's become one of my favorite role players in the league this season. Talk about knowing your role and being excellent at it. That dude is a sniper as one of the top three three point shooters in the league, right? And you have Seth Curry still rolling along. You still got Joe Harris still rolling along. Nick Claxton has been big for the has been big for the Nets in the post. They have a rhythm that shows that they are the top team. They're a top team in the Eastern Conference. That they were in the they were in the bottom of the Eastern Conference to start the season. Now they're in the top four. And on top of that, we talking about we're recording this on what? Uh, Wednesday, December twenty first. December twenty first on Wednesday. Do you see this score right now of who they playing against the Warriors? They're giving them a forty piece. They are wow. they scored ninety one points in the first half. That's without Kyrie playing. Okay. So come on. the Nets are for real now. Like it's time to acknowledge that, yo, KD, Kyrie Irving, no matter how much of a theatrical entertainment they have been in, in you know, in other Barclays Center, they they know how to flip the script and change narratives quite often. And this and this narrative right now in Brooklyn is we're more than just actors. We actually play the game. Like, and, and boom, there you go. I can't say that for the Knicks, because the Knicks are the Knicks. They're going to mess up some way, somehow. It's like, da- it's like Stephen A. Smith talking about the Dallas Cowboys. They're going to find a way to jag it, to mess it up some way, somehow. The Knicks are going to find their way, some way, some way, somehow, to mess this up. So don't get, so don't, even though this is, you know, Knicks is the mecca of New York, don't get it twisted. Manhattan ain't popping right now. You need to go over to the, you need to go over to Brooklyn where they, where, you know, where they represent Biggie Smalls and them guys over there, because mm-mm. the Nets are showing that they may not be the team of New York, but they're the team that's popping right now, and that's the team that you want to be on. We talking about on the verge of of winning these championships, which is something with Kevin Durant on your team and Kyrie Irving, it's definitely in a discussion. Regardless, I'm gonna say this real quick on the whole Knicks and Nets situation. I think the Nets can go much further than the New York Knicks. They have a ton of talent from top to bottom. They're getting healthy at the right time and they're clicking at the right time. And Jock Vaughn got these guys playing defense, something that Steve Nash didn't. 
and it proved that a new voice in the locker room was needed because it's paying significant dividends. But talk about defense with Brooklyn. And I know you say the real team is in Brooklyn. I agree with you, Josh. But I got to give some respect to the Knicks, man, and what they've been able to do defensively. The point of attack defense has gotten a hell of a lot better lately. They managed to hold five out of their last eight opponents to under 100 points or less. Is the Knicks currently, they boast the best defensive rating in the league, having allowed only 101 points per 100 possessions this month. And they captured wins against teams such as the Cavs, the Hawks, and the Kings over the course of their current win streak. As a matter of fact, they held Cleveland to under 100 points. And although Cleveland isn't known for having elite-level scores, or, or actually, I take it back, not they have elite-level scores. Let's not get it twisted with Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, but they're not known for having any, like, elite catch-and-shoot threats near them. The whole that group under 100 points when they've been the top one of the top teams in the East, I got to give him credit. I mean, he's not – Tom Thibodeau made a decision. He said, I'm not playing Evan Fournier. I'm not playing Cam Reddish anymore. I'm going to put Quentin Grimes in, and I'm going to put Deuce McBride in. I'm going to have him start besides R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, and that defense is taking off. And then you brought up the Illinois boy. It's the basketball, might I add, in Illinois. Mm -hmm. The last major All-American that we had in the state of Illinois to come out of the state of Illinois seven years ago, and that's Jalen Brunson. He has provided that steady presence that Josh was alluding to when he spoke on this initially. Like, to get these guys in their sets, they rotations, it really been a big-time closer for them. And Quentin Grimes, I think, is speeding off of that a great deal. You see him knocking down catch-and-shoot looks after struggling early on in the year and stepping up defensively. Mitchell Robinson mm. on the rebounding tip has been a, a man amongst boys. I just had the chance to watch the Knicks and Pacers the other night in Indianapolis, and Miles Turner couldn't put a body on. Even though Miles is, is a long guy, like, his girth was just proving to be so problematic and Miles got frustrated and was in and out of foul trouble for most of the night early on. So I really like what I'm seeing from the Knicks. I don't know if they're a, a player for anything significant outside of first round, but if they keep playing the way that they have been playing, I tell you what, they could pose a tough challenge for a team in the months to come. And I've been very impressed with what I've seen thus far uh, under the Tom Thibodeau regime with the core that he has. Hardenstein has even given them some solid minutes. Them bigs, you know, they, they protect that paint. And they didn't have to guys. Some kicked in after that loss. And they got annihilated by the Mavericks on the second Saturday of, of December. Actually, I believe it's the first Saturday of December, where they got annihilated on, in a day game and Tim Hardaway Jr. just exploded. Mm -hmm. Outside of that, they've been, they've been kicking ass, man, lately. And I, I like what I'm seeing out this ball club. I, I just feel like the Nets are, are, and I know the Knicks aren't necessarily the healthiest team, but the Nets feel like they're just one strong breeze away from all three of their stars being out. And that's where I stop short of being able to say that it's just them and not the Knicks. Like, the Knicks going to frustrate you. They're going to do dumb things. They're going to give, they're going to take every opportunity they can to try to blow it. But they're also a tough team. Like, because of Thibs, no, no lie. And I just, I feel like that's, I don't know if, I, if it's a, they're separated, but it's the equalizer to me when you're trying to ask the question of is basketball back in your just, but I totally get, yeah, no, Knicks are definitely going to give you every chance to say, nah, I told you they're going to, they're going to blow it. Yeah. 
got another special guest coming in to the Open Run Podcast this week, a special edition, once again, of the Open Run Podcast. A guy that don't need no introduction. One of my favorite guys to talk basketball with across the Twitterverse, even on podcast forums. A guy that we ain't talked to in a minute. Suns Insider. Covers the Suns for SB Nation. Covers the WNBA, you know, for Nuts and Bowl Sports. Doing it big. Co-host of the Madhouse on Madison Podcast. My man, Stephen Gardner. How you feeling, man? All right, yeah. Peace and blessings, everybody. How y'all feeling? It's been a minute. It's been a long time, man. Up, currently, yeah, currently <laughs> talking about the Knicks and the Nets. Both teams are riding hot. First time in over 40-plus years that both teams have active win streaks of six-plus games or more at the same time. Mm-hmm. Is it safe to say, in your opinion, that New York basketball is officially back? Uh, that's tough just because, you know, it's still, we barely passed the third point of the, you know, regular season, 82 game schedule. Uh, there's a lot that can happen, especially with the way the East is set up right now. Uh, there's a lot of high variance in terms of a two game losing streak could take you out of the playing room versus a two game winning streak might put you in second or third behind Boston and Milwaukee. So just kind of looking at it from that perspective. Uh, just the fact that they're in balance, I, I guess you could say that. You could definitely say that. Um, I would say with both teams being relevant for a change, though, in terms of you know them potentially being able to make the playoffs, you could you could definitely say that, no doubt. Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. But I want to let my man Josh Buckhalter go as he has to head off. Appreciate you coming on, talking hoops with us. Good to see your face. Once again, make sure to check out his work at Soaring Down South, heavy.com, covering the league, NFL, as well as the Triple Zeros podcast. Appreciate you coming on, man, once again. Oh, man, it's always a blast with you guys. Can't wait to come back. Y'all have a great night and uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to everybody that celebrates. For sure. Same to you, Merry Christmas, bro. Yep. But I want to move on to a team, man, in the Eastern Conference, another team down in the Southeast region of the country, Young Cutter. Coming together, they don't won six out of their last ten games, knocking off the likes of the Raptors, Celtics twice at home and on the road, respectively, including the Clippers and the Hawks. The Orlando Magic, they sitting two and a half games back behind the Raptors for the tenth and final play-in spot out east as it is recorded. Paulo Boncaro averaging twenty-six and five in his last ten games for Orlando, shooting thirty-six percent from long range in that time span. Franz Wagner averaging nearly twenty and four in the month of December. Bobo having a career year. Many people would say he's among the lead candidates for most improved player of the year award. Do you believe that Orlando has what it takes to get into the play-in round this year? They currently in the midst of playing their best stretch of basketball. They beat Orlando twice in three days last weekend, man. Got to start off with you on this topic, Steve. <laughs> well, I think – I think it's like I just mentioned in the opening, the fact that the East is so wide open, especially out of the outside of the top two teams. Yeah. Uh it's not unrealistic to say that they might actually <laughs> they might actually hit the playing realm. Uh, which is surprising to say, especially at this point in the season. But um, but yeah, they just got a bunch of tall young athletes that can do numerous things on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and then the fact that they got Markel Fultz to come back into the fold. Uh, he's been looking healthy of late. He's had he's got a sustained, you know, window of games under his belt to where you can kind of see him transitioning from getting into game shape 
to actually being able to do the things that made him one of the best players, you know, in the draft that he was drafted in coming out of college and everything. Um, and for him specifically is for me, the thing has been just kind of seeing how he plays on defense. One of the biggest calling cards and things that he brought to the table when he came into the league, which is what made him such a great prospect was the fact that he was actually a good defender coming out of college as a bigger guard. They can absorb contact and dictate things based off of his contact. Seeing him be able to get back into that after the injury has been a good thing to see. And then another thing with them, outside of, of course, uh, Wagner and uh, Boncaro, is looking at <laughs> Bo Bo, the, the creative player from 2K, man. <laughs> really? It's like he has, a, he has a highlight every night where he's just dunking on somebody spontaneously, going behind the back on people in traffic, um, and just doing things that a player of his stature and his size just should not be doing in an open court. And then that smile and just having fun. Like, that's the general feel that that team has. Of course, that's a team that's not going to necessarily be contending anytime soon, but to see the pieces come together and fit the way that they have and to see those those players on that team have fun playing with each other, that's, that's like, really what you want to see. And it's been a good thing to see. It's a breath of fresh air to the league, for sure. Man, before I give my point, Steve, I'm jealous of that Dreamville hat. I'm very <laughs> jealous of that Dreamville hat. I, you know I love me some Dreamville, man. That's just not fair. <laughs> so we're going to have to have a conversation after this regarding that attire so I can see how to cop that. But anyways, <laughs> Lando Magic. Yeah, I think I, I view them like the Detroit Pistons. Give them a few years. Got a lot of young guys. Give them a few years. They're going to make some scary noise in the Eastern Conference because Paulo Banchero, is the truth. And Paulo Banchero, we trust. That's how cold this dude is when you talk about building your franchise around. The Orlando Magic finally have their guy. That yeah. they can say, this is the franchise moving forward. Everything involves him. But to have the reinforcements of a, of a uh, front of uh, Wagner and then have Bobo on the other wing, that's, that's not fair. That's just not fair to play with. And the fact that they are gelling together, the fact that they are playing together. We talked a lot about the players. We got to give a lot of credit to Jamal Mosley because that coach is the coach that understands how to put the players in the best positions to score and play the way they have been playing. Yeah, the Orlando Magic are young, but they've been very competitive. It's not like these games were a lot of blowouts. These games have been relatively close. And having that relatively close com competition on top of the, the the drive and the thrill that they do have with playing each other, it makes them an exciting basketball team to watch every single night. And that is something that you want from a young team moving forward. Detroit has had similar uh, instances, per se. But when they get Kate Cunningham back and those guys fully healthy with Jaden Ivey, they're going to be a problem. I see that very similar to the Orlando Magic. Once they get this year of experience underneath their belt of growing and developing and another year or two, they're going to be pretty nice. And, and a team that they, you know, you're not going to want to play with every single night, but they'll go as far as Paulo Bonjero can take them. And with him being the face of the franchise, Orlando pretty soon is going to start looking at, okay, not just developing talent, but we already know free agents, free agents aren't going to be willing to come there willingly like that. What moves can we make? to boost the fact that we not only have a franchise player, but we want a franchise player that can actually stay here long-term. You got to figure out what that looks like. Cause they had that with Vooch and we saw how that went. 
have they learned from the Vooch era and apply it to, and can they apply what they've learned to this new era now where you actually have someone that can take you farther that quite frankly Vooch can ever take the Orlando Magic period that's something to pay attention to but they're going to be a team but they're going to be a team that's going to be a problem within these next couple of years for sure I don't think that the Magic going to have a problem at all down the road when it comes to attracting free agents in the past, they've had guys like Tim Duncan linked to them. They got Grant Hill. They got Tracy McGrady. And when Dwight Howard was there, they were able to get Rashard Lewis as a free agent and guys like Hedo Turkaloo and go on a run towards the finals. I don't think they'll have an issue getting free agents to come down to Florida, a place where there's no state income tax, by the way, to, to play there as long as they have a face of the franchise there. With that being said, I believe they had it. Now. And that's the guy that you was talking about Josh as well as you, Stephen. That's Paulo Banquero. That dude is, is the face of the franchise, and that was something that they have been missing for the last several years. Even during the Nikola Vucevic era, you could say that they were missing a true number one dog. And they had that guy at the wing guiding this team, even in spite of some of the mistakes he's made. And kudos to Jamal Mosley for putting him in different spots on the floor, letting him operate and grow through his mistakes. Not too many coaches do that. I give him kudos for doing that. Even in spite of being a young coach in the league, you don't see that often, even amongst the vets. With that being said, I believe they do have what it takes to get into the playing round. i tell you why. It's because of the contributions that they get from guys that we didn't even get into. Mo Wagner, the older brother of Franz Wagner, he's been playing his behind off in the absence of Wendell Carter Jr., putting up double-doubles left and right, being that presence in the middle stretching the floor with his ability to shoot, pick and roll game, pick and pop game. He's been solid. Markel Fultz just recently had a 24-9-6 line against the Hawks out in Atlanta to kick off this week in a game that Orlando nearly came back from and won after taking advantage of some Hawks miscues by Atlanta late in the stretch that game during the fourth quarter. That's where they lost a six-game win streak. But he's been solid. He gives them a steady presence at the one spot and a conductor who he don't really have to look to score to, to make an impact on the game. You know, whether that's with getting rebounds, whether that's with getting Paulo involved, Bowl involved. I, I really like the core here. And they're so long from the three through the five spot. I don't know how you guard them, man. You got Paulo at 6'9", you got Franz at 6'10". Those two are interchangeable. You could put either one of them at the three or the four. You got Bowl Bowl. It is your five. I mean, even if they were to bottom out in the East, either way, like, you got to be concerned about this Orlando team. But if they make it to the play-in in year one of the Paulo Bancaro era, I don't know how you're not one of the top three agents in the NBA that plays either the one or the two spot, and you don't ask yourself, how could I not consider Orlando? You know, you, you, you have to consider that. You, you, you have to at this point. Because if they get to the play-in round, that shows a ton of growth. And that becomes the hotbed destination to go to in the state of Florida among NBA teams, especially when you look at the Miami Heat right now, who are 500, and they're currently strapped for cash. I do know one thing. If you're trying to go to Univers you need trying to go to Orlando, you better have Universal and Disney World all over. I better get passes to everything. <laughs> I better get passes to everything up in Orlando. Universal Studios, Disney World, 
all the all the enchanted castles and hotel stays and all that. Oh yeah, give me that, and then give me some shares in that Disney product too. Because because last time the Orlando Magic made it to the playoffs was two years ago in the bubble against uh Milwaukee. Yeah, knocked out five. Mm-hmm. We're gonna claim that. We're gonna claim that one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll claim it then. Fine. Two years. Outside of that, two years. I don't know. It's been some. It's been some time. Okay. So if they want to maintain this, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have to throw everything you got on top of the Universal Studios. I'm just I'm just putting it. I'm just saying out there for any free agents that are that are that are pending because you know you're saying it's a hotbed. I'm not dismissing it. What I am saying is, you know. You want to bring you have to bring it, and that doesn't that does include Mickey and Disney World, okay? So that, that's just me. That's just me, though. <laughs> and Gabe, a nice in Orange County. <laughs> oh, yeah, Steve. Gabe, I think you made a good point when you mentioned the length, which is the same thing that I mentioned uh, in my little spiel about the magic. So when you when you want to talk about elimination type scenarios where the stakes are higher, or even just a traditional playoff scenario. And you're looking at any type of series for a minute where you have to beat a team more than once. One of the biggest things in those scenarios, whether it's college hoop during the national tournament or the NBA playoffs, one of the factors that always ends up playing into the math and how a series turns out, it's not always about who has the most top-end talent, who has the most all-stars, all-NBA players, who has the deepest team. The team that has the most length, mm-hmm. a lot of times is able to dictate what's going on over the course of a series there's adjustments and things like that happen because you can you can you can plan for a lot of things what you can't necessarily plan for is the type of length and the effects that that has uh for me thinking from a point guard's perspective I'm bringing a ball to the floor I come off a screen going to my left hand and there's nothing but length at the at the who's guarding the screener and then I'm also looking one pass away this dude's hand is in the passing lane he's five feet off of the man and I might try to pass the ball to that passing lane is not there I look at the right side of the floor and the low man, he's got his hands up. That pass, it's not a direct line of sight that I have to any of these players. And, of course, they have to be disciplined in their positioning and things of that nature. But just the, you can't, it's hard to overcome length. <laughs> it's just, like, you can't really, you can't really reword it any other way. Like, if another team is has more length and more size than you over the course of games that when they really matter most, that's gonna be that's just impossible to overcome. So if you can't match that or you don't know how to play against that, that can really sway things in a series or in any, you know, any type of format like that. So of course they have things to learn and they have experience to acquire more than anything else as a group. Nonetheless, they have one of the biggest things that I feel like you could use as a factor in your favor in that specific scenario. And that's having the length to not just, you know, affect the passing lanes and things like that defensively, but to also be on the glass. So that's one thing that definitely already bowls heavily in their favor in their present construct. Indeed. And I want to move on away from the Orlando Magic, who have been one of the hottest teams in the East outside of the Knicks and the Nets, to discuss NBA All-Star voting, which recently kicked off this week across NBA.com and NBA app. It's a lot of guys in the running for the race for the MVP award. But if you had to select your two backcourt and three frontcourt players, who would they be to start in both the East and the West, respectively? Start with you on this, uh, Steve. Man, that is a loaded question. It's I basic. know. It's loaded. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I'm going I'm to start out East. I'm going to start out East. Okay. 
So off the top of my head, I'm going with Jalen Brown, Kevin Durant, and Jason Tatum. So that's the front court. And then in the back court, uh, can't say DeRozan starting because the Bulls been putrid. Uh, no, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Take a take a take Jalen Brown out of the starting lineup and put Giannis. My bad. So we okay. got Giannis up there. We got Giannis up there. And then in the in the in the front court, let's go with. Uh, I'm gonna show some love to Drew Holiday because Drew Holiday has been outstanding this season. A lot of people look at the Bucks and they want to look at what Giannis is doing. And if they look at it past Giannis, they might even talk about what Brooke Lopez is doing, which is performing at a potential defensive player of the year uh, type of level of play. I'm gonna go ahead and put Drew Holiday in the starting in the starting lineup for me, and then you know what? I'm gonna put Jalen Brown at that at that two because I think he's a combo where he could play forward or he could go with guard. So I'm gonna go with the two Celtics, Giannis, Drew, and um, uh, who was my fifth? Who was my fifth? That I oh KD KD. Yeah. So yeah, so they go they go to the East, and then our West where it just it just gets even more fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh all right. So we're gonna we're gonna operate under the mindset that AD is gonna be healthy to play in the all-star game. Uh prayers are for him. Hopefully it's not the Liz Frank situation. He could come back soon. Uh so we got AD, we got Joker. Uh let's see who else, who else, who else? Um do y'all feel like I'm? Mean, I'll leave this for y'all when y'all answer it. But do y'all feel like Brian should be starting in the All Star game this season? I'll let y'all answer that when y'all turn come around. But I'm gonna throw out. I'm gonna throw out. Um, I'm gonna throw out Luca because Luca's been on one this season. Uh, you can't not say Steph the way he's been backpacking the Warriors and they nine bench having themselves through this early portion of the schedule. And then that final spot. Ah, this is this is where it get dicey. Ah. Uh, can't say Kawhi, he ain't played enough games yet. Paul George has been good, but he also hasn't played enough games yet. Um, mm, I might be bending the rules here, but he's been so good this season. I'm going to go ahead and say Devin Booker. So I'm going to put Devin Booker in that. For sure. For sure. Okay. For me, okay. I, I, I start off. I, for me, in, in the East, I'm going to keep it simple. In my backcourt, I'm taking – or actually, let me start with the front court because that's more easier. I'm going to I'm gonna have Giannis, I'm going to have KD, and I'm going to have Joel Embiid. I understand Jason Tatum is an MVP candidate, and rightfully so. But somebody has to be bumped off. Somebody just has to. I, I, I'm sorry. It just, it, it just has to be that way. And – as far as my backcourt is concerned, yeah, I, I, I'm going to go with Jalen Brown as my two guard. And as my one guard, I'm going to go with Trey. Even in spite of a down year, I'm, I'm going to go with Trey. I think even in spite of the down year, most of the fans will go with Trey in the East. In the West, I'm going to start with the guards because there's about several or eight guys you can name. And it's going to be a lot of guys who – are going to get snubbed out west at the guard spot. But I'm going to start with John Morant as my point guard. Devin Booker is my two guard. And from three through five out west, Ron, to me, is kind of like the de facto guy. 
even if you want to make a debate as to whether or not he's going to be in it, you know he's going to be in it. You know he's going to be the lead vote getter for better or worse. Um, I, I will go with LeBron. I will go AD. And I will go Jokic. I think that's your starting five in the Western Conference. As great as Luka's been, he's averaging 38 and 8, a near triple double stat line. As great as he's been, someone can't make it as a starter. And I think this might be the first year in a couple of years where he'll have to be a reserve. And I think maybe his team standing might play a part in it, but international voting may help. Man. Uh, all right. Let's, I'm starting the East. Starting the East. Of course, front court, uh, you got to go Giannis. You got to go KD. I thought about Joel. And uh, just for the fact that, you know, we got to give Sanders some love. I'll, I'll, I'll give Joel. Joel, Joel can have that spot. Guard play. Um, whew, That's tough. I'm going to go Darius Garland. Okay. And whoo, who's that two guard? I'll probably put either Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, but most likely Jason Tatum in that spot. Going over to the West. Yeah, Jaws my point guard. Jaws killing. That's my that's my point guard. Um two guard. I will go with Devin Booker. I'm not against Devin Booker. My three, I'm going Zion. Um, four, AD. And five, yeah, the Joker, Jokic. Okay. I, 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 can't, I can't argue against that. I mean, one guy I forgot to even give some love to is Donovan Mitchell. Yes. This dude is averaging close to 30 a night. And a guy, I, I kind of feel bad that I left him out now, even though I'm still going to stick to my guns. But you could easily say he deserves a spot in that backcourt in the East with the way he's playing. He's slowly elevated up atop of the, um, the, the, the MVP rankings. And he's the reigning Eastern Conference player of the week. This guy just had a game where he put up 18 of his 41 points in the fourth quarter in a come-from-behind victory from double digits against the Indiana Pacers. You got to watch this guy play if you have it this season. He's been the calming presence behind a young and emerging Cleveland Cavalier squad that has desperately needed him to spell scoring lows and to close out games with the money on the line. But before you go real quick, Steven, I want to talk a little bit about the Phoenix Suns with you, you know, this is a team that, in spite of, you know, some injuries off and on with guys like Aiden being in and out the lineup, Booker being in and out the lineup a couple games, Chris Paul missing several weeks, they still finding a way to get it done. What's your thoughts been on them thus far and how they responded after a rough preseason and a rough exit out of last year's playoffs in which they captured a franchise best 64 wins? Well, I think if you're speaking on everything that's transpired over the last, what, six months for the Suns, it would be wrong to start anywhere but speaking to a system being in place and a culture being in place. 
Because you don't rebound from the way that Maverick series ended and come into the next season the way that they have without having a structure in place and some type of culture to where there's a standard that's being upheld and guys that are on the roster understand when they're not moving in alignment with that. And, you know, that bar is set every every night, regardless of who the opponent is and regardless of who you may have in the lineup or who might not be in the lineup for your team at any given moment. So I think the fact that they're – I think they're fourth in the, in the West right now. The fact that they're there and they've spent more time atop the West than any other team has this season, um, I feel like that all speaks to just the culture that they have there. Uh, if we were talking about the Phoenix Suns just three seasons, just three seasons ago, this would not be the conversation we would have. So the fact that they are in this space speaks to it just really speaks to the the change in culture that James Jones and Monty Williams, uh, shout out the only African American tandem at GM and head coach in the league. Um, it really just speaks to, you know, the 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 face change that this team has seen. And the biggest, the biggest stone falling in that face change is being the ownership change that we just got news of yesterday. Which uh which is absolutely that's a that's a dynamic. It's just a breath of fresh air across the entire NBA, regardless of if you like the Suns or not. So again, we keep talking about the culture changing. That's obviously going to be the biggest piece, and then the trickle down effect from that, even past roster construct and things like that. Just seeing a, a a breath of fresh air to how business is done with a franchise that just went for four billion dollars, and they just invested. I forgot how much money into you know the training facility and everything. Um, to making that a state-of-the-art type of situation. They have all these little things that's, that have just been building up over the years. So just want to shout them out for that before anything else. And then as we get into the roster and everything that's taking place this season, um, Cam Johnson's played like eight games. That's their best floor spacer, their best shooter. Um, that's their Jay Crowder replacement in the meantime because Jay Crowder hasn't spent any time with the team. Uh, he hasn't been at practice. He hasn't been in film sessions. He hasn't been on the bench. He's been completely away from the team. Uh, so not having a player of his stature, which, of course, he's not an all-star or anything like that, but as far as an identity and being a, a player that's a key cog in any type of um, rotation for a contender, that's what Jay Crowder is. So the fact that they haven't had him all season and they've seen the successes that they've seen, along with Devin Booker missing a few games, along with DeAndre Aiden missing a handful of games, along with CP3 missing even more than either one of those two. It just really speaks to the culture, the the um, the um feel that, that Monty Williams has for this roster at the moment. And I think some of the some of the biggest things that we're seeing with them is uh, past knowing what Devin Booker can do uh, as a scorer, seeing how they're operating when he gets double teamed, because that's really what did them in in the Maverick series was the fact that he was getting double teamed, especially when CP3 was off the floor and the other four players on the floor were not, they weren't um, cognitive in terms of doing what they should be doing in response to what a defense is doing. They've expedited the process and learned how to play out of Devin Booker double teams. And they're playing in that four on three and that three on two scenario with better pace and better spacing. And guys just know where to be and when to be there now. Uh, and then independent of Devin Booker, looking at Mikael Bridges, he's had some of the some of the best growth on the team this season. He's doing a lot more with the ball in his hands in terms of initiating offense, initiating pick and rolls, creating for others. And he's been he's operating more as a chef this season, whereas in previous seasons, he's just been the person that's eating what the chef's cooking, being Devin Booker or Chris Paul. So he's he's the one that's cooking up now. He's starting things to to play off of. So seeing him do more things on ball has been it's been fun to see. He still has growth to make in that 
in that dynamic specifically, but he's getting there nonetheless. And then obviously the big fella, DeAndre Aiden. Uh, they had the little bout last night and the loss to the um to the Washington Wizards. Everybody saw that between him and Monty Williams. I'm still not sure about their relationship, but you don't have to be best buds to win basketball games. If you have a common ground, you can find a way, an avenue to win the games. You saw that with the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. Um, so seeing DeAndre Aiden operate in the space that he has defensively, he's been very good this season as one of the most versatile centers. Uh, but offensively, even more so, they've been giving him the ball more. He's had a, a higher usage in terms of how he's been used, where he's getting the ball at, and how much free freelancing space they're allowing him to have. Uh, so just seeing him as well as Mikael Bridges more than anything else operating independent of Devin Booker and Chris Paul and making things happen on the offensive side of the ball, it's been fun to see. And then my last point will be with Cam Johnson. Cam Johnson has been, in his eight games that he played, he was insane. I had questions about whether he could do the things that Jay Crowder did defensively. Not and things like that with the team. So seeing him operate in that space as a starter and hold it down the way that he did, doing a good job guarding the isolation when teams try to tell him, come here, like Luka Doncic did across that entire series and see him hold it down against guards, it's been a great thing to see. So uh, he should be coming back relatively soon going into the new year. And uh, this team will be looking more whole as the trade deadline uh, gets closer as well. Uh, they have a lot of decisions to make in terms of expediting the evolution of the roster. But I like where they're at right now, being top four in the, in the West and being one of the better teams in the NBA in general. And as you said, they're currently top four in the West. They sit fourth overall, 19 and 13 overall. Only one game back behind the Grizzlies and the Nuggets for the top spot in the Western Conference. They were in the top spot as recently as about a couple weeks ago until, you know, suffering some tough losses at the hands of New Orleans in New Orleans. With that being said, though, man, I appreciate you coming on once again, Stephen Gardner. You make sure guys got to make sure to check out his work at Bright Side of the Sun on SB Nation. Make sure to check out his podcast, Madhouse on Madison. My man does it all, WNBA coverage, where he talks to Sky and everything on Nuts and Bowl Sports. Pleasure to always talk with you on this on this hoop stuff, my man. Man, always, y'all. Y'all be safe, man. Y'all make sure y'all taking care of yourselves. Make sure y'all checking in on y'all people as well. Make sure they good, too. Uh, and I'll be seeing y'all soon, man. I'll be around a lot more often now, man. Y'all take sure. care. For sure, sure man. Appreciate you, bro. Yep. And with that said, I want to move on to our final topic, our final topic on this special holiday episode of the Open Run Podcast. Quarter season report card. Third and final installment of last week in part two of the series, me and Josh discussed and evaluated the performances of the Sixers, Jazz, and Cavs. While this week we will assess four different teams at the quarter point of the year in our final episode for 2022, starting with the Minnesota Timberwolves. 16 and 15 record as they currently sit ninth in the West playing picture. They've won contests against the likes of the Grizzlies and the Sixers. They've hovered around the 500 mark or so for the majority of the year under head coach Chris Finch. Despite seeking to acquire Rudy Gobert and pair him with Carl Anthony Towns, the, the pairing of the Twin Towers and the Twin Cities has managed just to clog up the driving lanes. And as a result, it's kind of made life a living hell for Anthony Edwards, who once utilized those driving lanes and routes to his stellar sophomore campaign season ago. Minnesota, they won six out of their last 10. They're currently on a three-game winning streak as of this recording. What grade would you give Minnesota through the quarter mark point of the season? This was a thing that a lot of folks, we thought they was going to be in the top four or five. They on the I outside looking in. 
Yeah, I was, I was one of those people. I thought yeah. on the outside looking in, the Timberwolves should be top four uh, in the Western Conference. But because they haven't reached that mark, I'm going to give them a C. Because they regressed in a lot of ways I didn't think they would. Yeah. Um, part of it is coaching. I do believe uh, coaching-wise, it, just, it, just, it doesn't fit the dynamic of, of their makeup right now. Um, and this, but at the same time, too, I don't blame the Timberwolves for going after Rudy Gobert because the objective of them was to free up Carl Anthony Towns from playing that five spot, allow him to be more of what he really is, which is a stretch four. Um, however, knowing that you have that, you got to be able to create an offense that can work with that. And that's something that the Minnesota Timberwolves do not have right now. They don't have an offensive uh, offensive playbook that fits the makeup of their team. And has and it caused the people like Anthony Edwards to regress in ways where he shouldn't. Um, and I also believe that at the end of the day, the Minnesota Timberwolves have to understand that, yeah, Carl Anthony Towns is your highest paid player right now. He ain't your main player on your team, though. Anthony Edwards is your guy. And he showed that he has arrived in last year's playoffs. There's no reason why you shouldn't be working the offense through Anthony Edwards compared to just playing regular offensive ball through other people. Anthony Edwards should be the main guy running the show right now. And unfortunately, he's not doing it at the rate that we know he can be able of doing. So because of that regression, which for me, I'm not saying it's all player, but I think coaching has a lot of, has a lot to do with it. I'm going to give them a C. I expect the better out of them. But they didn't regress so bad that they're the worst in the league. But they regressed pretty. They regressed pretty badly, though, to where they shouldn't be sitting right now at the ninth seed in the in, in the West. Especially we talk about the teams that are in front of her, that are in front of them, that we didn't expect to be in front of them: the Portland Trailblazers, Utah Jazz, Sacramento Kings. Yeah. We did not expect any the New Orleans Pelicans. We did not expect any of those teams to be better, and not just that much better, but further along in progression than the Minnesota Timberwolves have. I gotta give them a C on this, man. I'm a I'ma be the Russian judge on this one. I gotta give him a D. <laughs> I, I had some, I had some, I had some um some high hopes for this team. The addition of Rudy Gobert, I didn't knock it. I thought they gave up a hell of a lot for him. And that contract mm-hmm. was reason to pause for concern, but it's Minnesota. This isn't a market that you know to attract top-notch free agents. They just don't do it. They don't do it. And you you, you either got to trade. To get them, or your player development has to be flawless, and you got to strike with the lottery picks that you get in the draft. Now they did that, Anthony Edwards. He's the face of the franchise, in my opinion. Even though, if you ask most people, probably in Minnesota, they might say it's still Carl Anthony Towns. That said, the defensive identity that defined Minnesota a season ago, where they had Jaden McDaniel. Patrick Beverly, who is no longer there and with the Lakers, and Jared Vanderbilt, who is no longer there and is with Utah and was a part of that Gobert trade. Like a big part of their identity last year, they would hustle and they could switch defensively. With Rudy, you can't switch like that, especially when it's pick and roll involving a point guard. They waiting for they waiting for Rudy. And mm-hmm. then even though he's necessitated Carl's move to the four, 
He's no longer a matchup nightmare at the four like he was at the five. Because yeah. when he was at the five, he was able to take advantage of slew-footed big men. And he struggles enough as it is defending on a perimeter as well as opposing fours. So now they can guard him a little bit closer to nullify his jump shot because Rudy's not a threat to shoot. And that's what's clogged up everything. And that's what, and I think Anthony Edwards is not the only player that's been impacted by that. D'Angelo Russell has as well, in spite yeah. of having a stellar month of December. He's been a, 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 a killer in the fourth quarter as of late and helped Minnesota in some games this month. And without his services, I don't know if they'd have been able to pull through in. But even though he looks good besides Gobert in the pick and roll game, I just, man, I, I don't think they had enough time in the preseason to jail with one another. It could have maybe been due to the Eurobasket commitments that Rudy had, Towns missing a large chunk of camp, you know, with COVID-19 once again. I, I don't think this start is anything that they had in mind. Nas Reed has provided them with some solid minutes, though. Got to mm -hmm. give kudos and, and respect to him. He's looking like one of the best backup big men in the league, but I got to give him a D. I just never expected them to still be within that playing range exactly where they were just a season ago. No, that makes a lot of sense, man. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up the D'Angelo Russell a component of things because D'Angelo Russell, when he got to that team, was supposed to be that that relief off the bench that took the, that held that second unit and at times probably played with the starting unit down the stretch to help maintain the level of competency from that point guard perspective that we know we could bring to the team. And it just seemed like that's kind of been non-existent in a lot of ways until this last month of December. So that is, you know, the, at the end of the day, the Minnesota Timberwolves got to get it together if they want this thing to last long-term. Because like you said, the way those contracts are set up, they're going to be stuck with this project for a while. And the fact that they gave up so much for Rudy, I think it's going to be pretty much impossible for you to trade him later on down the road and expect that much in return. That's, that's just not going to work. Um, so they got to figure, they got to figure it out. They got, they, they definitely got to figure it out, but they shouldn't be with the talent that they have. They really shouldn't be number nine in the Western conference. I agree. And they also got to figure out what they're going to do with D'Angelo Russell, especially prior to the trade deadline. He was on the final year of his contract and they have yet to find a way to agree to terms with him and his representatives on an extension. But I want to move on from Minnesota to another small market team in the Midwest except this one plays in the Eastern Conference, and that's the Indiana Pacers. 15 and 16 record. They sit ninth in the East playing picture. Tyrese Halliburton, he's among several players likely to be considered for most improved player. Leads the league in total assists and assists per game entering week 10 of the season. We know about Indiana's rookie guards, Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nimhard. They managed to provide vital minutes off the bench for this young squad under head coach Rick Carlisle. Buddy Hill, Miles Turner, been key contributors as well. Despite being constantly named in trade rumors off and on throughout the year, they've captured wins against the Pelicans, the Magic, the Raptors, including the Nets and the Warriors twice. They beat both of them on, at home and on the road. What grade would you give the Pacers? I'll give them a B. I'll give them a B. Okay. Um, and, you know, to be really generous, a B plus. Um, just right. because... <laughs> Just because when Indiana pretty much cleared house, 
I did not expect them to maintain the level of competency that they have now. And under the new leadership now from point guard Tyrese Halliburton, he's changing the way of how this team is functioning, man. Um, yes, you still have, uh, you know, rumors as far as what they're going to do with Miles Turner and Buddy Hill, knowing that they're not the future of this franchise anymore. But they got a nice, solid case with Tyrese Halliburton and Chris Duarte at the backcourt helping running this show. And they're, I think the, you know, the competitive nature of things is what's really keeping Indiana afloat in a lot of ways and relevant. If you really thought about you, you couldn't tell me that starting the season, you have the Miami Heat right next to the Indiana Pacers for the eighth and ninth spot in the Eastern Conference, let alone having that neck and let alone having them above the Toronto Raptors, who we definitely thought was going to be a top eight team this year. So considering where they're placed at right now with all the other teams that are ahead of them and who they are currently in front of, if I'm Indiana, you couldn't ask for a better spot, to be honest with you, considering all that has gone through in the offseason with pretty much cleaning the house. I I, I think think, think they're doing a pretty good job. I'll give them a B plus, B, B plus. I'm going to give Indiana, I'm going to give Indiana a B. Because if not for the play of Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Mathurin, who I believe could easily be considered for the sixth man of the year award as a rookie mm-hmm. and managed to take it home and be the first rookie to win it since Ben Gordon back in 2004, 2005. If it wasn't for those two guys combined with Nimhard, Aaron Neesmith, who's provided them with solid contributions on the defensive end, had a big time game. We dropped 20 plus against the New York Knicks at home at the last weekend. I, I, I like Indiana. And I've been very impressed with, in spite of the fact that this was a team that on paper looked as though they were going to be atrocious. And through the first several games, looked atrocious defensively. But they, even in spite of their defensive woes, like they still, like 20th overall, I take that for a young squad. Because it was looking bad when they came to the United Center a couple weeks ago. It didn't look good at all like during those early days of the year. But they managed to rectify that. And they're playing with effort. Jalen Smith is giving them positive minutes. I still think they need to figure out what they want to do. Because they started out so hot at one point, they were within the thick of the, of the playoff. Mm-hmm. So now they got to make a decision. Do we want to compete enough to get into that playing round? Or do we want to sell off some of these guys that we don't see as part of our future long-term, such as the guys that have been involved in the trade rumors nonstop, and that's Miles Turner and Buddy Hill. If they do that, then we know that the future is now and that they see it to go in a different direction. But I'm going to give them a B because through it all, this team has found a way to remain competitive, and they come with it against the top teams in the league. Each and every night. And they just got Chris Dorte back, who is going to help them significantly. They have a ton of guard depth. I think these next several weeks are going to be key for them in determining whether or not they want to compete for playing or just, you know, open up shop to talk about guys on deals and build towards the future. Either way, I like the direction that they're going in because I think Halliburton. Matherin, Nimhard, and Jalen Smith, and Aaron Neesmith, they have several guys there 
that could be a key partner in the future. And not to mention Isaiah Jackson as well. It's funny that you mentioned the whole, you know, direction where the team is going because they were just like the Utah Jazz. They started off hot. It was running the show. Yeah. And then they dipped. And now they're having the same conversations again. Okay, are we going to have to unload some pieces? Are we going to buy in and try to be competitive to get to the play-in? Or are we going to sell? It's, it's very interesting how they become like the Eastern Conference Utah Jazz and not trying to figure out what those next steps are going to be. And it's a very fair comparison. You know, both of the teams are trying to figure those things out. So I'm, I'm interested to see where the Pacers are going to go. But to be, to be competitive – Nine in and nine out with everything to go with everything going on, like you said, for a young squad, very impressive. I, I like the Utah comparison. That's a fair comparison because they're both small markets, known for drafting well, as well as developing players that they draft better than probably most teams around the league, even if you include the bigger market franchise. They've always been successfully ran organizations and they make the most or they maximize the most out of their talent, shall I say, probably better than any two other organizations in the league that I could think of off the top of the dome. But I want to move on from Indiana to go down to Dallas. Talk about last year's runner-up in the Western Conference, the Dallas Mavericks, 15-16 and 16 record. They currently sit in the 10th spot in the Western Conference play-in picture as we discussed them. Luka Doncic is currently second in points per game, averaging nearly 33 points a night to go alongside eight rebounds and eight assists. Mavs have beaten the top squads in the West, such as the Suns, the Clippers, the Nuggets twice this year, but they've lost some tough outings against teams that many would expect them to beat or at least fare well against on paper, such as the Thunder, the Magic, the Rockets, and the Wizards. What you make out of this current Mavs squad, man, who just a season ago, they were looking like the hottest team in the league and on the verge of potentially getting to the NBA Finals. I'm going to give them a C. They have regressed to become the old school James Harden Rockets. <laughs> you, and you know where I'm going with this. They regressed. Yeah, I know. They, they regressed so bad that it's become Luka Doncic's show. Rightfully show. You know, because this is Luka Doncic we're talking about. But at the same time, the Rockets only went very far one time under James Harden. They went to the Western Conference Finals and took it seven games with Golden State. Kevin Durant led with Steph Curry and then Golden State. Outside of that, Rockets didn't go very far because they knew that over time, this James Harden ISO ball, I'm scoring 35, 40 points a night, isn't just going to cut it. The Dallas Mavericks have turned their offense into the Luka Doncic show. Yes, historic numbers, 33, 8, and 8. You want that's that's a very impressive for you know a guy who should be front, one of the front, front runners of the MVP race right now. However, you're not winning games because you're 33, 8, and 8, and covering it on the other end of the deal. It's, it's no different from what James Harden felt with. You covered the James Harden Rockets, so please tell me if I'm wrong. But that's what it looks like to me on the outside looking in. And it doesn't help that the Dallas Mavericks have had injuries. 
and think you know throughout throughout the For season sure. they've been they haven't been healthy and it's and it's affected their play but next man up next mentality they no one has really filled in the gap tim tim hardaway jr hasn't been himself he, he's been very inconsistent so far this season christian wood had his ups and downs too even though we know when he's on he's on but he's been up and down um Max Cleaver, he's been out with his oh. hamstring, with his hamstring injuries, and in front of us saying he's been definitely out. Man, who knows when he's gonna come back? So they've been plagued with injuries, and it's affected their defense. But at the same time, you need more than just Luca, and Luca's not is is keeping them afloat, but he's not gonna take them far if no one else steps up on the Dallas Mavericks, which is something that hurt them. You know, even at some points, uh, not just early in the season, but even at certain points last season, before Jalen Brunson stepped in and became Jalen Brunson that we know now. This is where I, I think you could tell they missed Jalen Brunson because when when things get rocky and out of place, you put the ball in Jalen Brunson's hands, he just moves that, he just moves everything out. They don't have that right now in Dallas, and because of that, you're seeing the ups and down roller coasters that's taking place over there in in, in Dallas. So. Because of the regression and how bad the regression really is, considering they're right behind the team we just talked about in the Western Conference. Yeah. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give them a C. I'm gonna give Dallas a C minus. Kind of funny to think that they're kind of in a similar position to where they were a season ago. I also get your James Harden comparison. I get it. And it's funny because a few years ago. When Luca touched down in Dallas, I literally told my friends this before James left Houston to depart for Brooklyn. I said, Doncic has a chance to be the Dallas where Harden was to Houston. You could see it because he was slowly implementing this isolation game into the mix once Rick Carlisle gave him the keys to the offense prior to his exit and departure from the map. So because I saw Luca's first career triple double out of Milwaukee rookie season. So just being able to, to see that you you could see where it was going and that it was going to be a show for him to basically put on these night to night exploits cuz as I've said before, he ain't coming off that ball for nobody. With that said, Christian Wood I think has been solid offensively. Him and Luca have a great two man game together, but the problem is is his defense. And that's why I believe that Jason Kidd hasn't been able to trust him enough to play him not only in significant minutes, but to close out games mm-hmm. and insert him as a member in their starting five. Yet, when you look at what JaVale McGee has been able to provide them with or lack thereof, you, you got to make some tweaks and changes. Yeah. Spencer Dinwiddie, you talk about Tim Hardaway, Tim Hardaway Jr. has been inconsistent, which he has, as well as Reggie Bullock mm-hmm. and Dorian Finney-Smith. They struggled shooting the ball. But Spencer Dinwiddie, as great as he's been at times, he's been inconsistent at times in, 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 in hot and cold. Josh Green has been one of the biggest bright spots in their rotation. He's been among the league leaders thus far in three-point field goal percentage, but he's hurt. He's been in and out of action lately. 
with some issues injury wise with his legs and so so forth. So that's a big loss. Got to give a shout out to Kimball Walker for staying ready though, like he yes, did sir. last week, putting up thirty plus points in the absence of Luka Doncic. That's a guy that could possibly help this team coming off the bench as a member of a second unit and being that steady presence at the one spot that they need. Granted, he's not the conductor that Jalen Brunson is, but he's capable of doing it. And he showed that when he was surrounded with a ton of talent in Boston, leading them to the conference finals down in the bubble. Yeah. With that said, though, I still think they got to get another playmaker. They may have that playmaker in Jaden Hart, a young rookie who, when he got extended minutes against the Bulls, showed up and showed out. But he's been bouncing back and forth between the G League and the Mavs. But even with him, they got to they gotta get another playmaker. I, I think they got to make a move at the deadline, and they got to try and figure out who are they going to be willing to part ways with. You brought up Maxi Kleber. He is a huge loss. For this team that I don't know if they're going to be able to feel that during his absence. I don't know whether that's going to be an extended absence or a short one, but they can't really afford to have him down for a significant bit of time just due to the simple fact that he's so big to their defensive success. Mm-hmm. And he sparked their defense to a great degree in the playoffs last year. With all that said, I'm going to give him a C minus. Luka Doncic, I'm talking about a guy that would probably be the front runner for MVP if the Mavs had the best record in the league. He guarantees you a top 10 offense. You can't say that about most players. In fact, I'd even say a top five offense in a manner similar to Harden when he was in Houston. But it's not enough. It's not enough. And his career trajectory is kind of eerily similar to Harden because Harden got to his first Western Conference Finals his third year in Houston. It got knocked off by the Warriors in five. Luka got to the conference finals his fourth year in Dallas. Got knocked off by the Warriors in five. Only difference is Luka, prior to last year's run in the conference finals, typically gets knocked out in the first round. Mm-hmm. James Harden was at least good enough to get you past the first round and into the second. It just would falter down the stretch in the conference semifinal round. Can Luca find a way to get over that hump for the second year in a row remains to be seen, but they sure as hell got a lot of ground to make up in a short bit of time. Yeah, man. Ditto to everything that you're saying. I, I hate that, you know, it's gone to this point for Luca, but yeah, they need some extra, they need an extra playmaker, man, to take him to that next level. Spencer Dinwiddie did it when it needed most last year, along with Jalen Brunson. Right. But those guys ain't get the Jalen's not there no more. Jalen Brunson's not there anymore. And Spencer Dinwiddie hasn't stepped up consistently to fill in that void. So you gotta find someone that's gonna help take those ranks. Otherwise, you can get a lot of Luca-esque, James Harden-esque comparisons with the way this offense and way this team is moving. And with the right coach, you know, they could go into the, you know, second half, second uh round semifinals of the Western Conference, but they don't nearly have enough to get back to where they came from last season. And, you know, for Jason Kidd, as someone who knows what it means to, you know, coach himself into championships and go to the finals as a player, he knows that there's something something else needs to be done. Well said. And the last team I want to talk about 
is the team that finished as the runner-up last year in the Eastern Conference, and that's the Miami Heat, 16-16 and 16 record. They currently sit eighth in the Eastern Conference play-in picture. Despite dealing with a lot of injuries off and on to the likes of key guys, such as Dave Vincent, Jimmy Butler, among a host of others, and in spite of that, they managed to remain competitive under head coach Eric Spoelstra. They won games against the Pelicans, Blazers, Kings, Celtics, and the Suns. Tyler Harrow's been shooting the lights out the ball, shooting 45% from the floor, 40% from beyond the arc, and route to averaging a near team best 21.1 points per game. How would you grade Miami's performance thus far this year? I will give them a B minus. And I'm okay. gonna go with, and I'm gonna give them a B minus because at the end of the day, Miami is not playing Miami basketball. Granted, like you said, a lot of players are out, including the big guns. Jimmy Butler has been out. Right. Kyle Lowry has been out. Yep. You know, that doesn't take away, you know, that takes a lot away from what Miami normally is every single night and given night. But with that being said, there's been plenty of times, even last season, when guys like Jimmy Butler and those guys weren't playing well, yet they went deep, yet they won games. And that's because of the culture and the head coach of Eric Spolstra. The fact that that's not taking place at this present moment to where they are probably at the lowest seed in the Eastern Conference probably since the LeBron James era and that big three era in Miami, that says a lot. And, you know, Miami just has to get to a point where a certain level of not just competency, but levels of winning combined with that competency is not, is, is not you know, this level that they're playing at right now is not enough. And they have to have guys that have that continued next man up mentality and taking things to that next level for them, just like they have in previous years. It's because of that standard that they have, it doesn't match up what the standard should be at this present moment. So I have to give them a B minus because, and that's on the lighter side because you could go C and lower considering that they're an eighth in the East. We have never seen Miami Heat in the eighth seed ever in the Eastern Conference in a very, ever in a long time. But considering that they have had these injuries, considering that we know Miami's a place of, of, of winning and uh, stability, you know, I'm being gracious and giving them a B minus. But this is the Miami. This is the Miami team that we should be accepting and looking at. If you talk about the NBA as a whole, especially considering that his, historically, no matter who's been on the on the court, no matter if the stars have been out or not, they've always found found ways to get themselves and remain remain, remain relevant. That has not been the case this year. I'm gonna give Miami a C. I'm gonna give them a C. It's funny because. If you go by defensive rating, they're top 10 in the league. I think Bam Adebayo plays a huge part in that, though. Yeah. With the ability of ground that he's able to cover with his size and length. But that offense, man, is stuck in the mud. And there are so many times where you watch them, even during nights when Kyle Lowry is on the floor, and you're like, they need another playmaker besides Jimmy Butler. And I think they need to call Washington. They got to pick up the phone. You may not be able to get Brad Bill, but you need to find out how you can get Kyle Cooper. Mm. Now who can take some pressure 
off of Jimmy Butler when he's being double teamed or he's seeking to drive and they collapse. He can kick it out and Kuz can knock it down in a catch-and-shoot scenario. And also take the pressure off of Jimmy when needed and he needs rest. Say, hey, I could take this guy in isolation and set up the offense for us. A long guy who can who's also shown over the last couple of years that he can defend when he wants to defend, also, which is how he won an NBA championship with the Lakers. They gotta get somebody like that in the building. A Julius Randle type of player in my mind, in order to take that next step up. Tyler Harrow been incredible since entering the starting lineup. He's having a phenomenal season, but he can't do it alone. Bam out of bio, got to be more aggressive on the offensive end, in my opinion. There are a lot of nights where you look at him and he puts up a monster out, and you like, man, you could put up 20 and 10 in your sleep if you want. Mm-hmm. But are you looking to do that? And I think this team is going to need him to insert himself as the vocal point of this offense until reinforcements come consistently. If he can't get that memo, they're going to be, they're going to be stuck. Cause Jimmy's carrying a mighty tough load in Miami and mm-hmm. Pat Riley. I know a lot of people consider this to be his last hurrah. He's not getting any younger in the game. If he really want to go out on top, he's going to have to make some true Godfather S moves. They still got some time. They could be a hell of a lot worse than what where they currently are in the Eastern Conference playoff picture. They could be a hell of a lot worse. But with all that said and done, I'm going to give them a seat. Man, look, the fact that they're this bad now, barely surviving in the A spot, and Duncan Robinson has been trash? <laughs> you talking about Godfather moves. He's he going to have to make some Godfather moves to remove him. Because Doug yeah, right. because he has not lived up to that contract. You gave this man 90 mil and he ain't hit and he's struggling to shoot the ball. That that's that's something that, you know, that's a pill you gotta swallow, bro. So if you could if you, you know, you gotta find a way to get him to unload him potentially to get a guy like a Bradley Bill or a Kuzma per se. Because he has not performed since he signed that contract. He hasn't. He hasn't lived up to that expectation. And in a lot of ways, it derails Miami's options when you don't have Jimmy Butler on the floor, when you don't have Kyle Lowry on the floor, because they're already stretched thin anyways. Yep. So something has to give, especially with that contract, because if Duncan Robinson is going to keep playing like this, he don't need to be on a beach. He need to be in the gym somewhere else. Got a quick question for you, man. What, what games... Should the fans have their eyes on across this holiday season? You know, this is the last show we're doing for the year 2022. We'll be back a couple weeks from now. But what games that you've seen thus far, some I'm pretty sure you done seen on the Christmas bill that you know it must see. But even but beyond that, new, you know, going into the new year, that you say, hey, these fans need to really monitor. I'm going to go Friday, December 23. December the 23rd on Friday, I am going to go. Uh, where'd that game go? I'm sorry. All right, there we oh, go. Good. The 23rd, I got um, Memphis and Phoenix. Okay. I got to see Ja, see how they goes against. Uh, I know Chris Paul is out, 
you know, we'll see how he feels with that shoulder injury and if he's able to come back anytime soon. Um, but, you know, we just had Steven go on to come on the show talking about how Phoenix is adapting in a lot of ways. And Devin Booker is really embracing that point guard as type of role where he's not just scoring the ball, but facilitating and setting up, yeah. setting up the offense well for his teammates to thrive. And guys like Mikel Bridges taking more of a scoring role in creating his own shot. Having that against a, a team like John Morant, who we know in Memphis brings that dog every night, and you got Jaron Jackson on the other side, having Jaron Jackson be guarded by DeAndre Aiden, that's going to be something pretty big, uh, special to watch. So that is definitely the game, uh, that one of the games I'm going to check out. And, of course, it's Christmas. All the games on the roster for Christmas Day you got to check out. So sure. that's definitely something you got to – but the most intriguing Christmas game that I am – looking forward to seeing is for me the Milwaukee Bucks against the Boston Celtics. You gotta watch Giannis against Jason Tatum. Like that's just a given. And the Bucks are rolling right now. Uh and so is Boston sitting as the top two out of the top three uh, teams in the Eastern Conference. I want to see how that matchup goes up because you may be looking at a potential Eastern Conference finals matchup as that. And we always know it's always a um, always a good, entertaining uh, matchup when those two play against each other. So those are for sure the games I'm going to be paying attention to the most. I'm glad you brought up Milwaukee and Boston because that's the first game that I feel like fans definitely need to have their eyes out on across this holiday season. You're talking about a pair of teams that linked up against one another last year in the second round of the Eastern Conference semifinals. And it felt like the conference finals when you were watching. And when you consider the way that Milwaukee went out, you have to know that they're going into the TD Garden looking for blood. Mm-hmm. And I expect for all of the top guys to be out there. Chris Middleton, I know, has missed a couple of games recently, dealing with some knee issues. He probably sitting out a, a couple games this week just so he can be out there in action in Beantown for Christmas Day. You got the star of stars, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jason Tatum. Those guys, in my opinion, are in the top three of the MVP power rankings as we speak. Jalen Brown, Drew Holiday, what more can I say? And these are these are the last two franchises to represent the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals. Don't get no better than that. And like you said, it could easily be an Eastern Conference Finals preview. You definitely got to keep your eyes out on that one. And last year, they met up during Christmas Day as well. And Milwaukee had a thriller in which the Bucs came back and beat them. So I I know that's going to be a fun game. And then Brooklyn at Cleveland, December 26th, Mm. 6 p.m. Central Time, NBA TV. Talked about Donovan Mitchell. I left him off my start five in the East, and I, I feel bad about it. This dude was the reigning Eastern Conference player of the week. He averaged 32, three rebounds, and 2.8 dimes a game and route to the Cavs capturing a win in three out of their last three out of four games last week. He's been the reason why they've been able to overcome so many of these scoring droughts, man. And if you play him to drive coming off the screen, he's gonna pop the step back off. And it's looking like one of the best in the game right now. Trey ball in your face. Before you know it, he got 25 at the half. Did that to Dallas last week, a team that knocked him out in the opening round of last year's playoffs in his final year with Utah. He creating space off the dribble, getting separation, doing it as smooth as anybody in the league right now. 
And he's setting up his teammates along the way. And when, when the money on the line, he's taking his game up to another level. Like, he currently sits third in total points and clutch minutes with 60 on the year. And he shot 43% from the floor and 93% from the charity strike in the following scenarios this year. And, oh, by the way, he on pace to have a 50-40-90 season. You got to keep your eye out on Donovan Mitchell, man, what he's doing in Cleveland. It's something special to behold. And going up against a red hot Mets team right now that's currently ascending up the East, that's a game to check out. Phoenix and Memphis, December 27th mm-hmm. in Memphis. If you got league pass, check that out. December 28th, Denver and Sacramento. Nikola Jokic right now, he's looking like a guy who's trying to be the first dude since Larry Bird to capture three straight MVPs. I don't know what his eyes looking like. You know, with these sports books, might need to check it, but Denver is currently at top of the Western Conference, and they're doing this with a defense that's still a work in progress. Make sure to check them out as they go to Sacramento against a King squad that's been very fun to watch. And Mike Brown, you can easily consider him as a coach of the year candidate, and Demonis Sabonis has been playing at an all-star level. De'Aaron Fox as well. And last but not least, New Year's Eve, Za. Ja in Zion, New Orleans, yes, at Memphis. Memphis is the place to be right now if you got league pass. I'm watching all their games, man. I'm watching yeah. all their games, including the Pelicans. These are the two teams that we talked about and highlighted on the show last week, and it's a reason for it. You never know. This could be a Western Conference preview as these young squads have shown that they have what it takes to possibly have next and wreak havoc on the league for years to come. I'm glad you mentioned that Memphis and uh that Memphis and uh, Pelicans game, man. Because what better way to bring in the new year by watching two of the youngest, biggest stars in the league? And I have to, we have to say this because we are a Chicago podcast. The Bulls <laughs> play on New Year's too, okay? And at least it's going to be somewhat, somewhat intriguing because they are playing against the the man that uh my co-host Gabe has said that we need to watch more of and you know appreciate more of and Donovan Mitchell. And the Cleveland Cavaliers, they're coming to town to play against the Bulls on New Year's Eve. You don't have any plans. You can start off with this game, but go back and forth and watching John Memphis uh, and against, against Zion and the Pelicans. Those are two great games to, to bring the New Year in. We're talking about from a basketball fan perspective to watch and appreciation of how this New Year could potentially turn into when you talk about playoff matchups that might include Cleveland as well as the Memphis, Gri- the Memphis Grizzlies and the New Orleans Pelicans in some way, shape, or form. Nothing like bringing a new to in the new year with some good basketball, man. This is a great year to do it. Man, you make me feel bad that I ain't get tickets to that New Year's Eve game now, man. <laughs> hyping up the Cavs and the Bulls because I'm I'll be in the building on December 28th when the Bucks come to town, okay. and uh, I, I should be in the building that Monday when the Rockets come into town on the 26th, the day after Christmas. I don't know just yet, but I, I should be in there as well for those two games. Uh, definitely want to see some basketball over this holiday season for sure at the UC. But with that said, I want to thank you guys so much for checking in with us and tuning in to yet another edition of the Open Run Podcast presented to you by War Media. Make sure to follow all our great shows across our YouTube page, Bears pregame coverage and postgame coverage with Saul Rodriguez. And Bet Podcast with Saul Rodriguez and Miles Porter. Saul been doing a hell of a job, man. That's our producer, you know, behind the scenes. 
be killing it. And make sure to check War Media's Substack page prior to the end of this weekend. Might catch an article from my man Josh Hicks talking about top things to look out for and watch out for during Christmas Day in the NBA. For myself, Gabriel Wilkins, my man Josh Hicks, happy holidays, happy new year. So long, everybody.